0: You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and the outs of the solar industry and what it means for solar owners and industry, with Renew Economies Editor Giles Parkinson and Leading Solar Industry Veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider of the solar and storage industry, and Solar Analytics, helping you get more from your solar, more confidence, more savings and more insights.
1: Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Solar Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson, I'm the editor of Renew Economy, along with One Step Off the Greet and the EV-focused, The Driven. And joining me as usual is Nigel Morris from Solar Analytics. Nigel, um, I trust you are well and I trust you haven't spent the entire last week on the phone to South Australia, but you may well have. (laughs)
2: <laughs> no, not me but certainly some of our other staff have it, it's been something else what's been going on in south australia but yes i am well the sun is shining i'm watching uh watching my solar system uh peaking its little head off and uh if it's a sign of the changing seasons the cicadas came out this week in sydney where i am so um summer's officially here
1: well, look, that's right. and um, But spring is also in full bloom. And I do know from hearing back from some of our listeners that some of them do listen to their podcast while they're doing the gardening. I don't know how sophisticated that gardening is. But um, I am actually looking out at the gardenias in full bloom like I've possibly never seen them before. And um, and the jacaranda behind it. so um, Or behind them. And, um, yeah, and the jasmine around the pool. So it's... Um, it's, um, it's quite extraordinary. I think it's that's, probably of gar- of, that's probably enough for the garden, gardening component of this um, podcast. Um, a, c- a couple of, uh, a cup- a couple of um, small little things I wanted to mention before we get stuck into South Australia because it's a pretty interesting story. Um, but that's the prize that's gone to um, UNSW Solar Research, Brett Hallam, he's um, um, won a major award, the prestigious um, PM's Prize for Science and um, he's played a key role in the development of uh, solar panels over in um, UNSW so um, congratulations to him.
2: And, oh, UNSW uh, kicking goals again
1: well of course well of course well of course as we'd expect them to do as they've done over the last few decades as they will continue to do no doubt over coming decades. Nigel, tell me about South Australia. It's been a fascinating um, issue. I mean, look, it's not the first time that South Australia has been isolated from the grid, but it's probably been the, um, would have to be one of the longest ones. And it came in the middle of spring when demand is low and um, renewable output is high. And it had a particular little problem for them this time around because the rooftop solar component could have been so high Um, it basically would have left the market operator with no other levers to pull. So it had to enlist South Australia Power Networks and its little army of secret agents, or not so secret agents, and um, a couple of other sort of uh, blunt instruments to try and switch off as much rooftop solar as it could, and then sometimes switch it back on again. Um lot to sort of unravel here, but uh, Nigel, um tell me about some of the interesting stories that uh, you heard from your end as uh, one of the secret agents
2: yeah well i I think right right at the top it's worth it's worth saying that we've actually just witnessed something incredibly profound because you know as as has been stated many times before, South Australia has one of the highest Uh, rooftop penetrations in in, um, the world, Uh, one of the highest penetrations of renewables consistently. Um, And I was was chatting with Finn Peacock the other day who was on his way to to speak with someone in the government. He said, is there anything you'd like me to say to him? And I said, yes, congratulations on having the most sophisticated solar grid in the world. Uh, Now do dynamic Mm -hmm. control. Uh, uh, So, you know, despite the fact that it's a relatively crude system when it comes to, you know, uh, the management of of distributed solar assets, it worked. Um, in it, it was a it was a kind of a clunky handmade orchestra, but it was an orchestra nonetheless. Between, you know, turning gas generators off and diesel generators on and and load on 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 large scale facilities and managing and having their network of batteries around the place, and I'm sure they were calling on the DG batteries, the distributed batteries, in people's homes as well. And from the, from the distributed solar perspective, um, along with around 30 other uh, relevant agents in Australia, our phone ran off the hook last week. And, and you know, on the one side, I, I still kind of quiver at the thought that, you know, an entire electrical infrastructure for an entire state uh, is managing this problem by picking up the phone and saying, "Hey, is, is that solar? Hello, is that solar? Energy? Could you turn the solar off, please? Could, quickly, could you turn it off? Because uh, that's literally how it works. Someone rings. In fact, on Sunday I just was the uh, prob- on our. Just uh, imagine
1: the problem if you had two-factor authentication. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: sorry. Well, exactly. Can you, write by <laughs> you know, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. What's your address? So What's I, was I'm sorry, I was we literally no watching a, watching a conversation going on on Sunday uh, lunchtime when. Uh, uh, AMO had called again. Uh, it was they pretty much every day that we'd been in touch with them or they'd been in touch with us last week saying, turn it off. No, wait, turn it back on. Turn it off. No, turn it on. Um, and on Sunday, they said, yeah, turn it off. And and uh, one of our main guys who has his hand poised over the button said, look, I've, my other hand's got the barbecue going and I'm cooking sausages. It's my father-in-law's you know birthday i'm going to burn the sausages someone else has got to take over the button and sort of it highlighted the fragility and the and the sort of crude simplicity of the way this this way works this this thing works but it works nonetheless uh, so you know as an experiment it is a wonderful, wonderful thing. I can't wait to see um, uh, what undoubtedly will be a whole lot of reports that come out about the way that everything behaved and what happened and everything else. But at the end of the day, um, and I jumped on SAPN's website uh, just before we came on air and had a look, and there's you know only four very, very small outages. So pretty much the whole, uh, everyone's got power from what I can see, according to SAPN and i think i read on your esteemed website that the interconnect is back up now so um you know the state didn't suffer a system black and that was to a large part i'm sure because they had the ability to do all sorts of clever stuff including what they did with the solar so quite remarkable giles
1: yeah now look it was it's pretty interesting that through the whole week that they were isolated um it still had the same share of renewables 65 um, percent over the week as they had for the last 12 months and that's even with the uh, curtailment um, of up to to probably about 400 megawatts of rooftop solar each day. It's interesting that they can't actually get hold of the um, of the other 800 megawatts of rooftop solar or probably about half of it um, because they're old on sort of um, old legacy inverters which um, don't respond to the uh, the gentle nudgings of the uh, of all the secret agents. Um, look, it was the whole thing's interesting for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, one, the grid didn't have a system black mainly because um, of all the batteries which are there, which just kind of act like a shock absorber and just give the uh, system time to sort of breathe and react. When you get something as dramatic as um, you know multiple trips on a on a major circuit and like sort of disconnection. From another grid. So the fact that those batteries are there, um, that really helps just sort of keep the system stable. And we've seen that whether it's in South Australia, Victoria Link, or we've seen that with the sort of you know, the transmission um, link failures between Queensland and New South Wales and New South Wales and Victoria over the last few years. I mean that's 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 a state of fact. Um, and then during it, um, the batteries actually prove really useful um, because they were kind of stay, kept in the stage of sort of glass half full, glass half empty. That's basically sort of in the middle um, so that AEMO could deploy them if there was a big frequency excursion um, one way or another. And really what AEMO was worried about, it wasn't just really just the day-to-day management of the grid. That seemed pretty fine, even if it was majority sort of sourced by rooftop solar. What they were really worried about was just having another big trip and another big thing, and then basically not having the resources or, or worrying that the next big trip would sort of trip off all the rooftop solar and that would just give them this massive headache and um, they'd need a lot more batteries to be able to deal with something like that so that's why the big batteries were kind of kept in a state where if it was a load that tripped, they could do one thing if it was a generator that tripped, they could do another thing um sort sort of riding on the balance beam if you like it was interesting that they switched off the main gas generator in Adelaide Pelican Point once again, just to avoid that risk of a big trip in a one area, triggering all the solar PV in Adelaide. So they switched that off, put on a smaller gas generator, peaking gas generator, and then actually switched on some diesels. This was on the Friday over in Port Lincoln, which doesn't sound like a bright idea, but basically AEMO is just all about sort of minimising risk at that stage. So the actual sort of minute by minute, you know, out-of-hour running of the grid, really not a problem, even with a nice load grid, even with this amount of renewables, it was just really just sort of catering for those big events, um, that was sort of you know causing them to be cautious, um, but um, um, pretty interesting insight um, into the into the future, I think.
2: You, you, you're right on the money there, and I, I read um, I read about keeping that um, uh, Hornsdale, the big battery, sort of at about fifty percent, so that it could be used in two different ways, as you say, and I, that. That really got me excited because, you know, it's not just about, well, does this make sense as, as a storage system to deploy kilowatt hours? And we've seen it, of course, be incredibly valuable on the FCAS market and responding to events in other states before. But this this was this was, okay, let's use this thing to the fullest of its capability to actually keep the network stable. By doing you know three or four different things at once, and uh, that just shows the remarkable, remarkable power of these things. And you know it, it, um, you know it was some years ago since the last system black in South Australia. and of course, um you know everything that has been done up until then was was done with with the view that, well, that shouldn't happen again, but if it was ever to happen again, what will we need in place? And lo and behold, we just saw it all work be- just beautifully, just beautifully. So it's a it's a, it's a, a testament to how grids can be built around the world and um, happening right here in Australia.
1: Look, that's right. And I think just probably the one other thing that probably needed to happen, um, I know that AGL were jumping up and down about the um, success of their virtual power plant and the response of that with the batteries. Um um during that week um some other people also suggesting we probably needed more sort of community level battery storage in some of those sort of local areas particularly where they lost power because of um local transmission local sort of networks uh, local power lines down with trees falling down and also just to sort of boost the sort of you know the stability and the reliability of the grid it would mean probably that the um AYMA wouldn't have to worry about sort of retrofitting all the old legacy inverters and things like that if they had a bit more community batteries so that's a that's an, that's an interesting idea and, and you might be able to help me with this, we had a couple of complaints from some people who were sort of um, um, found themselves without power because of local network issues and then found themselves without a battery because the signal came down the Wi-Fi to sort of switch off their inverter and I don't know whether that's a problem with local um, installation techniques and things like that but um some people were pretty agree that they were sitting there without power the battery is working fine and then they got a, suddenly got a signal from someone and, and it switched the battery off and they're going hang on <laughs> that's not right <laughs> but um
2: <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess this is the um, the subtle nuances of the way that different systems can be configured and the sophistication or otherwise of those systems. And, um, you know, the way that there, there are a number of different ways that um, relevant agent control can be managed um from you know turning it off at the meter which effectively turns off everything on that circuit um to you know fairly fairly crude sort of dread controls right through to more sophisticated controls that are talking directly to the inverter so there are a number of different ways it can it can happen and again i think this is where you know the analysis following this of the way that everything behaved is going to be really really interesting um certainly i was i was aware of our guys sort of Um, watching the response of um, uh, different solar systems that we were talking to and saying, oh, you know, we we can measure the response. Um, So have all these inverters responded? Have we got a signal back to say that they've been turned off? And I know that we, we invested an enormous amount of time in doing that so that we could, in fact, verify and demonstrate that yeah well when you told us to switch you know those x hundreds or thousands of solar systems off they did it we informed the customer so the customer knows what's going on but not everyone has has set their systems up that way some of it is a lot simpler and a lot cruder and um you know in some cases it may not in fact even be clear whether the assets have turned off or back on um so yeah i think i think when it's all said and done This has been a wonderful um, uh, experiment uh, that everyone should take lessons from to learn how to improve what we're doing so that, you know, we get more reliability and we get more insight into what's happening. And of course, everything needs to respond pretty quickly. Uh, So, you know, communications and communications, reliability and uptime becomes a real issue as well. Yeah, it was fascinating, actually, just the
1: lack of visibility over what was actually being done. And sort of talking to SA Power Networks, I said, well, how much did you switch off? And came, well, we're not really too sure, but uh, we think it's about this much. <laughs> um, I mean, part of the stuff yeah. was complicated by the fact that there's whole parts of the network which are without power because local trees had fallen on power lines and stuff like that. And they weren't exactly sure, you know, the things that they were trying to switch off, whether it was sort of, you know, um, in the blackout part or the other part of the grid. But, you know, and it is finally, you know, it's like sort of staggering through the dark in the middle of the night. Um, Trying to find something in the dark and um, anyway, you sort of, occasionally you stub your feet in the damn sofa or something else but um, as I did last night, took off a big part of my little toe but that's probably, um, um, I'm not too sure how I got there. (laughs) Look, that just shows how easily distracted I am at the moment Nigel, it's the end of the year. Um, Yeah, but interesting. Um, I just want to mention something else, which is not on our little menu too. Um, the, the ACT um, we keep on hearing about sort of our know, oh, renewables and the cost of renewables, and they don't protect us from um, price rises and things like that. But I did want to mention the ACT because they've just released their latest quarterly data. Now, if everyone everyone on this listening to this podcast probably knows or should know that the ACT has contracted the equivalent of 100% of the electricity needs from a whole bunch of wind and solar farms, which were built, Mm -hmm. um, was all completed by 2020. They've got a contract for difference. There's a price which they guarantee they will pay. If the market is really cheap, then the ACT has got to top it up. up. But if the market is really expensive, as, as it has been most of this year, then the ACT actually gets paid money because all the excess money pocketed by the various wind and solar farms get sent back to the act government so basically the act over the last six months has been paid 90 million dollars to use electricity wow um, quite remarkable quite remarkable and so wow. you know, <laughs> and on, on top of this we should also note that they've actually sort of um cancelled all the renewable energy certificates. There's no subsidy there. They actually cancelled them. They just sort of threw them in the bin, cancelled them to make sure that it was additional beyond Australia's uh, renewable energy target. And over the last six months, paid $90 million to consume wind and solar. Didn't cost them a cent. They got a net income of $90 million. Quite remarkable, which is why electricity bills in the ACT, 100% renewables is going down and why they're going up by around about 50% over you know this year, and next year in the rest of the country which hasn't quite yet solved that problem. So it just goes to show that if you do contract wind and solar and you do manage to isolate yourself from the impact of the fossil fuel companies who are causing all the price rises anywhere else then you are on a winner. And it's going to be really interesting to see how many other um, authorities, state governments start thinking more seriously about that sort of structure because one of the big things that's been discussed in Australia and also particularly in Europe at the moment is like you know, how do you actually recognise the benefit of wind and solar of having more wind and solar in the grid, particularly for wholesale price, which is dictated by the fossil fuels, is a really high number. So this is one way to have an individual contract for difference. People are talking about separating the markets between a renewable market or a, a fossil fuel market, that sounds a little bit complicated. Um, none of it's an easy solution, but it just goes to show that there are real benefits from wind and solar. Um, you just got to know how to capture them. And good on the ACT, one, for actually seeing that and doing it and putting it into effect, and two, for having the balls to actually make it really, really clear and all the clarity about the nature of their contracts and the details of the contracts, something which no other state government has done in Australia we haven't got a clue what the prices are negotiated by the other various governments for their for their wind and solar contracts but in the ACT it's there in black and white and they give a quarterly report of the update of where it is and good on them for doing that everybody else should follow.
2: It's amazing it's, it's, it's really it's a wonderful other it's another experiment that's going on right before our eyes in fact and I remember when the ACT first announced that. Uh, uh, many, many, many years ago when those those contracts first came out and everyone kind of looked at them and went, oh, geez, if, if that ever happens, that could hurt. But, you know, what's the likelihood of that? Well, <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> there is a likelihood and it's just uh, it's just cost some of those companies. Now, having said that, of course, they've had the upside all the way through um where um they've they've hopefully made some money and um but it uh, the the real lesson there is you 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 know in this day and age you never know what's going to happen right it's it's impossible to predict the future um the the money paid by
1: the act i mean even though they paid what seemed at the time to be reasonably high prices for say for the wind assets like i think hornsdale got between 80 and 90 dollars for the various three stages of it i mean it's a fixed price It's not inflation either, so it's a fixed price for the next 20 years. But that was enough for NeoIn to do its numbers and get the capital, get the borrowings required and build it and make a decent return. So, and it's protected the ACT consumers for the next 20 years of any sort of big ructions in the energy market. So it's kind of like a win-win situation all the way. The only only thing I would observe is that uh, the prices they paid for the couple of little solar farms that were built around the time, $180 a megawatt hour. I mean, they were amongst the first built in Australia at the time. I mean, that, that looks pretty, that looks pretty exy. I don't know whether it ever cost $180 a megawatt hour to build a solar farm. And one of them has managed to find themselves in the administration. I'm not really too sure how, um, I mean, you're getting that much money, but, um, um, that's only really for a very small amount. And, um, that's probably about the only blot on the whole, on the whole thing,
2: really. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's a. It's been a. It's been a big evolution, of course, over time since that scheme's been going. It must, must, it must be eight or ten years since that started rolling out. It was an awful long time since they first started rolling out those early systems. So, um, yes, well, I remember. I yeah, remember, it's,
1: uh, I remember we're reporting on the very first auctions.
2: There you go. There you I go. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so it's. Um, That's how long I've I been mean, around. It's, it's just. All, <laughs> There's just lessons all around us, in um, you know, um, thinking ahead and being progressive about it. And I think both of these examples, ACT and South Australia, are both really, really good examples of progressive thinking, right? Um, different ways, um, but but both great examples of you know, not not just not just you know, pretending that the future isn't coming, but actually embracing the future and saying, well. Let's assume that this does happen and let's assume that, um, you know, things do change over time. You know, how do we cater for that and build clever contracts or build clever networks um, that that either, you know, manage it from a financial view or manage it from a technical point of view? So, you know, uh, last week I was screaming blue fits at uh, at various different DNSPs, but uh, hats off to SAPN and hats off to the guys in um, – the ACT as well for being so progressive.
1: Absolutely. Now, moving right along, Nigel, what else we've we got um, coming in? We had another little solar company collapse last week. Um, I wrote a very dull and boring story, not very informed story about it, just noting it because uh, I was a bit pushed for time. Um, but can you tell us about Verdia and why yeah. they went? They actually had some fairly big name shareholders, I think, including I read in one story, uh, not, not in my publication, but somewhere else. Um, former rugby captain John Eels um, seemed to have raised a lot of money from various spots, but um, blaming COVID, I think, was the uh, was the reason. But um, I think that's one of those things that um, it might be an excuse. Well, not to sort of saying it's not the thing, but it is. It, I think it's a common excuse. It's COVID. It
2: was it was COVID's fault. It was wow. COVID's fault, yeah, yeah. No, look, I I, I don't know the inside story. Um, uh, I, I've certainly chatted with a few people, and uh, I know um, tragically the, the the fallout from it is that you know, as has been published, there was something like uh, something like roughly twenty million dollars in in um, outstanding creditors that that are owed money, uh, and quite a number of those are. Uh, small and medium-sized solar contractors, which is uh, which is always devastating because the small um debt uh relatively small debt can can actually end those businesses and so you know commiserations to those who got caught and, and can't get their money back there so there's a whole lot of sort of mums and dads out there that were affected uh and then of course there were there were investors and there was another 20 million dollars allegedly um that um that their investors have lost uh so the total number is being taught that's being talked about is around 40 million dollars now that uh, you know Verdi was a really interesting story because they were one of many companies that were kind of coming into the EPC space, and you know we can do this better and we've got access to customers and we've got access to finance, and we can bundle up our expertise. And they had some really clever people in there, I know a number of people who worked for them over the years and a number of people who worked for them as contractors or in partnership with them or, or various other things. And yeah, you know, they were doing some amazing things and had had access to all these wonderful commercial clients through their original funders, which was Westpac. And um, but the, the, the kind of writing was on the wall when Westpac pulled out some years ago, years and years ago. Uh, I don't know exactly when it was, but some time ago. Um, and you know what's happened since then is it seems to have just kind of spiraled away. And for sure, COVID didn't help anyone in the in in the commercial space. But you know, we haven't seen um, uh, you know the vast majority of those businesses collapse. The vast majority are back and running, and and you know they might have reshaped or reformed, but they've survived. Um, uh, and and of course the. You know, the, the big question on everyone's minds is how do you get to a point where you suddenly owe forty million bucks? Uh, that didn't happen overnight. And um there's a lot of frustration and questions to be answered, I think, on on how that debt grew so big, uh, with some very sophisticated people from the banking sector involved. Um so there's some big questions to be answered there and and you know, like I say, some mums and dads who've um potentially done their shirt on this. So I, I think it'll be very interesting to see the wash up on the creditors report. I think the I think the first creditors meeting might in fact be this week. So um, we'll learn more by the next show.
1: Well, yes, so, so, and um, let's hope that they have find their way out um, of that one. What else is on the menu, Nigel?
2: A, a great chat last week with Peter Leeson on great solar business uh we had a good chat about the vault solar tile pete had a chat with you as well he's, he's done the rounds in fact and been spruiking his solar tile but um really really good interesting conversation with him about the technical aspects of it so uh check that out and uh, of course another episode coming up in a couple of weeks uh with uh, another surprise guest i've got i'm juggling two at the moment giles and i'm trying to decide which one i'm going to bring on first but um uh, so certainly another episode coming up in two weeks.
1: Well, it should be next week, actually. Um... Yes, yes. It, yes, sorry. You're quite week, right. Um, next week. <laughs> it, it should be next week, and then there'll be one more. So if you're juggling two, then just roll them out one after the other, and that'll be your lot for the for the calendar year. Yeah.
2: Yeah, there you go. Gosh. Is
1: that close yeah, to the... Five, that, to five weeks still Santa, right? Oh, my goodness. I know. Well, I don't, I don't think it's five weeks, Nigel. I think it's four and a bit. It's it's creeping up on us very very quickly.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, Oh dear. Yes.
1: I know, I know, I know, I know. Anyway, hey mate, um, we might have to sort of talk very um, very quickly about electric vehicles um, before you give your live wire story. I just wanted to mention the fact that um, um, some major um, EV policy will go through federal parliament after a deal with the Greens and uh, David Pocock, the ACT independent. Um, basically just sort of sharpening the edges of the uh, proposed tax reductions uh, that were brought in by the Labor government, um, basically a, reduce, a reduction in import duties and um, exemption from fringe benefit tax for electric vehicles. And basically the idea of the Greens and David Pocock was to exclude hybrids and plug-in hybrids um, from that equation, which I think is a mighty fine idea too, because if you actually look at um, if you actually look at sort of you know the the targets of the european countries i mean basically we need to go full electric rather than sort of plug-in hybrids and we don't really need to encourage those so that's actually a good thing so um anyway but you got a story about your live wire
2: i'll bring that on yeah 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 look uh witchcraft witchcraft at my house uh i was contacted by um the boys at soliger she said hey Nigel, we have got this new Electric vehicle charger, do you, want to, do you want to have a little play with it and, and, and have a little test and, and tell us what you think of it? And I said, yeah, I'm always up for something like that. Sounds great. So um, I got one of the sort of latest generation electric vehicle chargers, which is – now let me, let me be really clear because this is a confusing topic. It's not actually a charger. It's basically a box with a bunch of safety gear and some relays and some comms equipment in it um, and a cable hanging off it that you can plug into your vehicle. But the charger, of course, the AC charger is always on the vehicle. So it's not a charger as such. But Everyone calls them chargers. But uh, got myself one of these Warbox uh, Pulsar Pluses um and the thing that was really really cool about it is a it's really compact b it's it's you know next generation so it's cheaper uh c uh, it literally took about 10 minutes to configure and set up and commission and so that was really really cool and i set it up but then what i also did was work with the local guys from melbourne uh from the company charge hq who developed an app that allows you to integrate all sorts of different devices so in my case case i said well look i've got a solar analytics device measuring consumption and production up at the house. I've got this charger down in the shed 50 meters away. Can we make them talk to each other and do something intelligent? And the answer is yes, Charge HQ can do that. Again, download the app, 10, 15 minutes to configure everything and set it up. And Lo and behold, Charge HQ is now taking over control of all of this. So this week, I've had a wonderful time uh, in between work sitting at home saying, Okay, uh, now I think I'll just switch to just charging my bike off excess solar. And um, watched it, uh, you know, like witchcraft, ramping the charge rate up and down uh, to my bike and deciding how much power the bike should get based on how much was being consumed and how much was being generated in real time. Um, so, you know, so. And, and then I went, well, what if I just schedule it? I just want it to charge from 10 till 12. Okay, schedule it. No worries. There you go. What if I'm sitting at the beach as I was on Sunday? I went, I wonder if I could switch the charger on from the beach. And lo and behold, I pressed a button on my phone and turned the charger on and charged my bike while I was sitting at the beach. So, you know, that's all very, very cool. Um, um, but what it actually meant was, and I can cost that in the in the Warbox app and they've got a really nice desktop thing. So I can cost it and I can see how much of paid and how much I've avoided paying and all those kinds of cool things. Um, but but of course my my place is 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 not a standard solar house maybe a you know it's a bit of a clunky throw together of all sorts of bits and pieces but I've got some I've got some old Enphase AC batteries stashed away that that you know store some energy for me uh, I've got a catch power hot water diverter that also uses my electric hot water tank as a, as a as a storage system and dumps excess solar into there uh, and so it was like watching a cage fight because you know between the catch power and the battery and the electric vehicle and charge hq there was this there was this cage fight for the power okay who's taking it I, well i need it more you know and, and and then here's me bringing in the real world going what if i switch the kettle on uh my 18 year old just did it before he came out and the dishwashers i said why is the dishwasher on he said oh well it was open and the button was flashing so i turned it on i said mate that means that it's finished so you've just washed all the dishes for the second time today thanks they'll be really clean but we're wasting power and of course that meant that the load went up so the bike stopped charging and the hot water diverter stopped diverting and the batteries couldn't charge. So all of this stuff is going on with, you know, idiots pressing buttons, people doing stupid things from the beach, algorithms trying to fight for control. I I, I pity, I absolutely pity the solar installer of tomorrow who's got to deal with this or someone in a call centre with a customer ringing in saying, I don't know what's going on or why, but stuff's happening. Uh, So on the one side, incredibly (laughs) cool and a great way to save money. On the flip side, man, (laughs) things are getting complicated. So great fun and, and wonderful to see the Warbox and Charge HQ, a couple of young Melbourne guys who've built this app, just doing amazing things.
1: Look, I'm really impressed and I'm really embarrassed to say that I usually just sort of sit here and just wait till the clouds come over and then I just go, oh, maybe I should take my car off the charging thing. And I go, oh, no, bugger it, can't be bothered. And as you just mentioned <laughs> that, I just realized, oh shit, it's still charging and the sun's gone down. So I just switched it off then. But um, yeah, so I need to upgrade my level of sophistication. Look, I feel like I'm feel like i like like half the solar PV systems in South Australia, sort of legacy, dumb, you know, <laughs> unreconstructed. And you'd be the model citizen of South Australia. I mean, you know, I mean, you could have switched on as much load as you wanted to, and um, you would have you would have gotten a gold medal if you were in South Australia last week. I mean, just uh, you know, just 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 people like you just keeping the grid together, Nigel. It's fantastic.
2: Yeah, that's right. I I could have you know, I could have just done burnouts (laughs) and got this this... thing and (laughs) (laughs) created an artificial load delay.
1: We've got this really bizarre um, this really bizarre delay I think between our two tracks at the moment and it's sort of um, yes it's making it very strange., um, Marjorie, just before we wrap up, I just wanted to mention also um, another EV story and that's the launch of the um, the launch of the um, LDV Utes. It's the first commercial Utes to be um, released in Australia. Um, LDV is a Chinese brand. I don't know how popular their sort of petrol and diesel utes are. but They come out with an electric one um, and uh, we've done a review on it today. We sort of deliberately used the headline. They sort of bounced into the market because um, I think their suspension needs a bit of work um, but um, so and they weren't cheap like double the price of the uh, petrol and diesel versions but at least they're here and the market i'm guessing will sort itself out when we get some of the sort of the classy models um you know the rivians and the and the hummers and the uh and the cyber coming here but that might be for another year or two so um anyway just an interesting development in the uh, in the world of electric vehicles um electric utes they do exist
2: sure sure is and you know uh, although it might, there's good, LDV have got a great opportunity to uh, try and lift their game a little bit uh, by the sounds of things, but, you know, more power to them for being first to market uh, and making something available. That's a great thing. And, um, you know, if they're comparable pricing uh, to other utes on, on, on the market, well, boy, there's a lot of utes sold every year in Australia. And um, if it's the first one out there, um, it'd, it'd be a great testing ground for them. So good on them. Yeah, yeah,
1: well, we'll see how they go. At $92,000 a year, um, pretty exy, quite frankly, but um, but you never know. You never, never know um, what some people will make of them. Maybe some people who do leases and stuff like that might be able to make it work over a four year period. It sounds like a lot up front, but um, but there you go. Anyway, any last minute things you need to add in before we go, Nigel? Uh, no, um, no, that's
2: no. all from me. No. I think that's
1: it. I think that's it, mate. Um, thank you very much. Thanks to all our listeners um, once again. Do check out Nigel's um, interview on the Great Solar Business podcast last week with um, um, with, with the, with the solar tile people. Um, Name no, just sort of just escaped me just just then. And um, and next week's uh, Great Solar Business with uh, the first of Nigel's mystery guests. Anyway, we'll be back with another episode. Of Solar Insiders in a fortnight's time. Bye for
0: now. Solar Insiders was brought to you by SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider for the solar and storage industry. SunWiz's partnership with OpenSolar will amplify the value delivered by their world leading solar software platform. With pro setup, training, and assistance, run your business at maximum velocity. Visit sunwiz.com.au. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by Solar Analytics, helping you get more from your solar. More confidence, more savings and more insights. Visit solaranalytics.com.au.